Are you attending Shop Talk? If you are, I hope that you're ready for the AI-driven future of commerce. If not, you can get ready by joining us and our friends from IM Digital, a leading retail experience agency, to learn about the future of commerce. You can join their March 18th event taking place at Shop Talk exclusively with your invite from Future Commerce. Find out more today at events.imdigital.com. Today on Visions. Where you are in your life cycle gives you different opportunities to innovate. I'm a big believer in permission to fail. Like, and, and what you just described is so super important to businesses to grow. And we've also had this conversation of, oh my gosh, I have to protect against the negative attacks that come from one poor experience from a shopper that now hits multiple channels. It's, it's an overwhelming situation for a merchant. Welcome to Visions. Visions is an annual audiovisual trends report that covers the changes in culture and commerce. This series is meant to be a companion guide to our 100-page report. Download and follow along at visions.report. Episode 8, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Hi, I'm Philip. In 2016, a study of Canadian lottery winners found that the neighbors of lottery winners were more likely to experience financial difficulties due to conspicuous consumption. In other words, the desire to keep up with the Joneses produced observable, causal relationships. If we are anything alike, we have all experienced that having Joneses in our neighborhoods or even social circles, although not necessarily lottery winners, influence other people's decisions. And this phenomena is not just reserved for individuals. It affects our business decisions as well. And this is no more evident than in the trends and fads that we go through in e-commerce. Businesses are not immune anymore than we are as individuals. Even software goes through fads and fashion. Salesforce, Shopify, they're both exemplars of trends that become self-reinforcing decisions for specific industries people buy and implement the software that their closest competitors buy and implement. The human need to fit in governs every aspect of our lives. Businesses buy the same software as their closest competitors, and we buy the same clothing and cars as those we admire. In-group dynamics, keeping up with the Joneses. It's all a function of our social groups and circles. Our language, our careers, our digital personas. All of it in order to signal our identity and our values. Hello and welcome back to Visions, a podcast by Future Commerce. I'm here at the Vision Summit. People are buying things both on the consumer side and on the business side just for the sake of showing people they bought the right things. Have you ever bought anything where you bought it as like a flex? Like it could be anything. I don't buy things that often. Scott Elchison, partner management at Yotpo. When the first M1 MacBook came out, yeah. I hadn't upgraded since 2010. Ooh. So my 
MacBook was about 12 years old and it didn't, it didn't work basically. So I bought like just fresh, you know, like one terabyte hard drive, got the M1 Mac, got the new keyboard. I was stoked about it. And I made sure everybody at work knew that I was typing from my M1 MacBook. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome because uh, we're a bunch of nerds. So that was like my most recent flex. The other one that stands out in my mind was I just always wanted to understand and taste what money tastes like. So like Dom Perignon. So we bought Dom Perignon one time. Right. I think those are like, yeah, those are like the two bougiest things I think I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a good portion of my career consulting and leading consulting teams in the CRM space. Dan Griffin, Head of Partnerships at Clevu. One of the categories that I led was financial services. So that immediately means you're in front of boards. I was pretty young at the time. So mm-hmm. the first thing I bought for the flex or to show off was a very high-end set of shoes and a matching belt mm-hmm. because I just understood if I walked in and didn't look, I already looked young. If I didn't look the part, there was zero credibility there. Yeah. And the second one, I'm actually wearing it. Um, and so I have a watch on that I'm, we're not going to show, but I have a watch on for the same reason that I bought 16 years ago before a meeting because I knew it was important. And I also happened to know that one of the people I was walking to that meeting with had the same watch wow. and it was an important, it was an important deal at the time we ended up winning it. I'm going to go with because of the watch. I love that. And actually, you bring up something that I think is huge in in this idea of keeping up with the Joneses that we get into is sort of the Hawthorne effect. People behave differently when they think someone's observing them or, or actually being observed. So it could be either, it could be perceived, it could be real, but they act differently. One of the things we identified in business purchasing, there's always been this idea of like, oh, you don't get fired for hiring Big Blue, but it was really internal in many ways. Like it was very specific to that business. The, the it's, it's become a lot bigger than that for a couple of reasons. Um, so one is transparency. Mm-hmm. So like uh, businesses have become uh, a lot more transparent and allowed employees to be more transparent on social media or in other places. So people know what business purchases you've made. If you were in charge of making them, it's very easy to find out with the sort of democratization of commerce. And we, you know, Shopify and Wix and Squarespace, like everyone is a merchant now and everyone is a e-commerce buyer. Um, And so it actually reflects really closely on your person, like personal life as well. Like there's an element of like, I don't want to look like the oddball out. You don't want to like pick the wrong thing and you just don't know where to go. And also you're being observed. There's a lot going on here. We talked about you don't get fired for buying IBM, right? For buying Big Blue. Let's talk about the 80s and the 90s (laughs) when analyst firms started to show up. Yep. And now it was, we're keeping up with the Joneses because this independent study told me these are the best. And you didn't have a space to really talk about it. So you trusted analyst reports. Mm-hmm. Now we know a little bit how about how that business works. It's a little bit more open than it was then. Yep. And so now I pull forward to how do people buy now? And so I think about LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And you talk yes. about just the pervasive number of just commerce platforms you can prop an e-commerce site on. I follow a bunch of people on LinkedIn, just like a general person. I know that if Persona A is a Shopify 
or a big commerce or Magento or whoever, like I'm probably going to trust them. So I view this as like this social influencer piece that we talk, we've talked about Scott, but social influencing in the, in the business leader aspect of you're able to tie it. Cause Brian, you, you're, you're right on. We know what technology everyone is running. Like it, you cannot hide it for the most part, you know, especially on the front end what they're running. And now if I can tie that to people that I view as influencers or, or market makers, then I'm keeping up with them because that must be the right thing to do without a whole level of influence. So um, for us at Clever, we see this, you know, a, a good bit. And it's not because of the competition, but it's because of perception of result. Being able to go do a little bit of what should my result be and Smart marketing and sales organizations are leading people down the keeping up with the Joneses path that don't want to get into a results-driven path. Mm. And we're fighting to get to the results-driven conversation and make it less of a commodity, less democratized, so to speak, more about that end result for that individual merchant's buyer's behavior or interaction. And I think that's the difference. Companies can dictate how people purchase and interact with them, especially in software. So at Clever, we choose, let's talk about the outcome in context to your particular business model. And then it prevents this, oh, I made a bad choice, but at least I'm safe because this market leader that I follow or this analyst mm -hmm. or this big brand that's established said to do so because there's, you still have to have results. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a way, I know you didn't ask how to counteract it, oh, but I think great. it's super important to counteract it. Yeah. Like tell the story, like what someone's going to get out of software or out of things that they purchase. Cause it translates back to the merchants that we interact with. What's the story that their buyer is going to get from interacting on their site. And, and, just so everyone knows, like Clever, we do search, we do product discovery on commerce sites. So we help surface products that people show high intent to buy. And it might, it's not just a one-to-one -one search, but we're trying to surface things in the right position. It's the same way when you're buying technology. You should really think about what's that outcome going to be that they're really looking for, not what I'm just trying to, to push. When we go back to this idea of like democratizing commerce, it's basically like starts maybe with a solo entrepreneur, Right. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for them to look out to maybe social media or LinkedIn and say, hey, the people that are already in the business, like, what are they doing? What are, what are they using? Because if I'm just starting out, I may as well just basically take the same tech stack that they have or that I know potentially I know, quote unquote, that's working. It's like from the research that you can do as an individual, it's like they're selling product. You know, it seems pretty. So it's like I can start with that and it's pretty easy. Right. It's all plugins to Shopify. Click, click, click. And you're live. And so mm. I think that kind of part of the keeping up is like one, it's vetted solutions. It's it's mm. it's like it's best in class. So for the for like the buyer, especially like the solo entrepreneur or people like that are like that are coming up in the VSBs, they're like, this is great for what it is. And then I think as you kind of continue the journey as you grow, like you start to look to see, okay, what are like the bigger size companies using? And that's kind of just like a way to just ensure that your um allocating resources properly because mm -hmm. when you're young you don't have the time to do as in-depth of an investigation into the different products or like you might not have really specific needs as you grow you have more resources you have more education like you have very specific i would say challenges that you need the software to do and that is a kind of again is a 
a way to say, oh, well, they've probably vetted this in a good way that makes sense for me. Um, so that's just kind of something like that I just like think about. Of course, the caveat to all that is it's like, have they invested in any of that, right? Because mm-hmm. like that's like mm-hmm. the one thing where it's, it's like they might be pushing it, but it's like, why are they pushing it? And it's something to kind of think about more and more today. But I think for us, when we see from like the Yapo perspective is understanding how buyers are are buying. It's like, I think the one thing we always see is like, like they're looking for good products, you know, consolidated products and things that just, to your point, drive results, right? Like how can we help make their lives easier on the agency side of things, on like the brand side of things? Uh, they want just like, great support, great uh, products and great results. And if we can kind of combine that all into one package, then, you know, I think that can really help, uh, you know, deliver a best in class software experience. And ideally that's what gets you onto those lists like you see on Twitter. Because uh, whenever I see one, I'm out there, I'm like, okay, who are you? And how do I get a Yapo to be in your next list or like kind of like get them, get us into the conversation? Because I think those things matter. as the two of you were talking and I, and I think both of you are, are actually right on point. There's an element of like counterfactual reasoning that goes into this, this like keeping up with the Joneses because there's like this looking out at others and saying, Oh, if, if, but like, what if I had bought, and by the way, counterfactual reasoning is basically what if statements. Right. Like right. it's uh, this causal, uh, modality where they where they they think, oh, if it worked for them, Certainly. it could work for me. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I, I think another like danger of this, and I, and, and I think this is you know th- this actually line of thinking is is prevalent among buyers, um, is that it worked in their context, right? That's that is. The it is a huge deal, um, and so you might say, "Oh wow!" Like uh, you know, the 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 more contextual you start to think about things, the more the math can start to change. So in beauty, that solution worked. It might not work for like auto parts. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and so I like I think Dan to your point, like um, data. Uh, around that's that's actually significant by by industry right. is where like I, I like I wish that we saw more buying like that but but uh, you know it, that's not to say that um, that that all counterfactual reasoning is wrong I think it's better counterfactual reasoning that we need <laughs> well there's there's risk taking when we talk about purchasing things especially in the b2b space like there's safety in established mm-hmm. um, we were fortunate enough to have a pre-read of the visions report mm-hmm. and one of the things you'll see in there is you take three marquee brands and you strip the header out and you put pictures of them next to each other mm-hmm. and uh, they're actually deployed they have three different technologies deployed to support all three of these sites, but they look the same. So I bought three different things and I still position it the same way the, the, the look and feel the, the theme, if if you're in the, like the theme is the same. Yes. And, and so I just, I find it interesting that the purchase stops at the purchase, right? The keeping up with the Joneses stops at the purchase and like, it's okay. And I just, I wish people would take more risk on, the equivalent to your point, Scott, of it has to be in context to where you are growing, yeah. but take more risk 
uh, into the experience you're trying to generate. Maybe there's different, you know, personality or nuances of like how like those backends operate or how they connect, which makes the difference. But so that matters for the brand, but maybe not for the outward presence for the consumer. I think it also matters. And I think this is why maybe you start to see like larger brands just look the same is where does the responsibility for like that vision change from like leadership down to the individual that's making the purchase? Because somebody that's making the purchase might just be to your point, it's buying big blue. It's like, I'm here for a job and I'm going to get paid no matter what. And it's like, I'm just doing this. Whereas that real creativity, like that vision, that differentiation, I feel like sometimes has to come from the top and it has to be sometimes, you know, pushed down to say, Hey, we want this for this reason, or kind of establish like that culture in the beginning. Cause again, it goes back to like right now, it's like all these entrepreneurs sprouted up, all these stores sprouted up, you know, what, depending on who you are and your vision, what you're trying to do, like you might, might be trying to just you know, like drop ship coffee or, you know, t-shirts. And it's just like, same's fine for me, right? Like it's working, it's, you know, it's passive income. Like I'm good. If you're, you know, trying to make a super differentiated product and you have experience in the space and you're like, you know what, like I, I'm, I'm going to do something wacky and weird. I'm going to do super maximalism and I'm going to have bright colors. And it's like, maybe put a little friction into the shopping experience just to make it like interesting and different, you know, makes a lot of sense. Like I, I think I, I look at mischief for that, right? That, that that's a great company out of Brooklyn doing all sorts of drop culture. And it's just like their app is crazy. Their, how they this go to market is right. totally broken and different, broken in the best way possible than what we see traditionally across, you know, like diff- 90%, 90% of, 90% of the sites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that stems from having like a real true vision or like an idea of like, I don't like a recognition of that. I'm going to do something different. I'm super confident in it. And that level of confidence or like that level of operational like ability is potentially what's creating some sameness. And, you know, whether it was in 19 or excuse me, like 1980, 1990 or now, where does the kind of creativity or like that empowerment lie within the organization. You're so right there. Cause you started you're like the last, the last point you made was like, I look, I see on Twitter and I see the stack yeah. and I go look and you just differentiated the stack from in-house operation, right? Mm-hmm. Which are, they're two totally different things. And, and you're rightfully calling those things out. I think it's a, uh, it's interesting what companies do once they like, especially merchants, what they do when, if they go by, if they replicate the stack purchase, how do they make it their own? Right. Right. And yeah. I think that's that's what we're trying to figure out. Like, yeah. It's okay to buy the same. Right. But you better be dang sure that it's in context to your brand yeah. where you're trying to be relevant. Right. As we head towards how to like move to maybe better purchasing behaviors, I think, one, it's not necessarily always a bad thing to buy something that other people are buying. Sure. Yeah. That can be good. However you've got to have qualifiers, right? And so it's interesting, like, what happens when the trends change? And all of a sudden, you just bought into a stack that was supposed to be hot and, you know, like, really, like, the best, you know, best practice stack. And then all of a sudden, like, six months later, one of those companies was actually, like, a very flimsy startup that lost its funding. And another one of those companies 
It turns out that they weren't able to produce the results they were supposed to or people or consumers' behaviors changed. And then the next best practices list comes out. And now what are you going to do? Like switch mm-hmm. technologies? Like you're going to – I mean sometimes you have to. Right. I think that's what's actually happening a lot is there's a lot of churn when it comes to like which SaaS apps are being used. Mm-hmm. Either that or you get stuck with a piece of technology that's really not – like performing at the level that you'd want it to. What if our preferences are being shaped by algorithms? It's no secret that algorithms tailor our experiences online, and in particular, our advertising experiences towards our preferences and desires. In our 2022 Visions Consumer Survey, we found that two out of every three people acknowledged that their taste is directly impacted by their social media preferences. But when it comes to business practices, our perspective is that everyone uses a particular brand of software, and that may be the result of algorithmic timelines, or audience matching, and a behavioral manipulation. Brands that factor in other people's perceptions into their software choices are experiencing consumer dynamics. Business leaders will often look at what others in their industry are doing and claim that it is experience and not the tech stack that is the differentiator. But the result is an overwhelming abundance of technology solutions and competitors that all look identical to each other. From the Visions Report. It's tough because usually on, you know, maybe it's like like the brand merchant side, it's like, an individual or a couple of people and they have to not only do let's say like a reviews and loyalty and sms and search but i mean like all of a sudden they have five six ten software providers that they have to vet yeah. that's a yes. lot of work yeah that is a lot a lot of work and yeah. you know i we know we recognize that we we do our best to, to just bring the education forward yeah. it's just like hey you know if you don't go with us that's fine but like Here's why you would want these certain features or like these functionalities or, or, or basic understanding because, um, you know, it's complex. There's a lot of complexity to it. And so just trying to help educate. I've seen it in, in, in this job and my previous job where, um, you know, a, a, a brand leaves, they try something new, but like you had a good relationship, you did good results, good work. And it's like they come back and they say, you know what, we tried and we're going to re-up because this didn't, this didn't work. Um, and so I think always – you know, having that relationship and building that it just is super important for example, like we don't succeed unless our merchants are succeeding, our brands are succeeding. So like we, you know, try to give the most unbiased and helpful information we can to make their lives easier. There's a really positive element to that that I just heard, which is relational selling. In some ways, this idea of buying something because someone else bought it, it can be relational as well. Oh, for sure. And so as Yapo builds its community um, and like builds relationships with its customers, those customers will hopefully be telling other customers about their experiences. There are some positive sides to this um, that are not necessarily bad things. This is how like good information can disseminate. Mm -hmm. We all search for wildly fantastic customers on our product that will go evangelize and be a channel 
to tell our story. So I think that's super important. What I also think is important, and you started to talk about it from a relationship perspective, and, and I love that you talk about the, the relationship sell, because that's really what you're doing, right? It, it's okay to lose, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, everyone should understand it's okay to lose. Um, what I would love for technology companies to do is to and this this is for a, a a majority set. It's not for the large publicly traded, you know, huge enterprise. Yeah, you know, the, we'll just call it like the IBM, the SAP, the Salesforce of the world. But I wish that, especially these smaller bolt-on technology companies in the commerce and the marketing space, would really maniacally focus on being good at what they do, mm-hmm. and not feel like they need to get wide. Like you don't need to add a bubble immediately. Mm-hmm. Like there are other things there that are already working. Be really good at in context with your merchant delivering fantastic results. Mm-hmm. And then others will want to keep up with the Joneses because they see the results that are dri- are driven. Mm-hmm. Keep this philosophy because that's what mar- that, this is what companies look for. You want the keeping up with the Joneses moniker. I mean like like that that is the golden ticket. Making sure that as you build that relationship and as you build your technology, don't make it about the merchant purchasing a stack. Support the stack by being really good at what you do. We'll be right back after a word from our partners. This podcast is brought to you by Shopware. Shopware is an e-commerce hub that allows you to offer relevant, compelling experiences for your consumers and your back office team. The open source core and the open commerce approach allows brands to build however they want. Turnkey, headless, PWA, or any combination thereof, thanks to the all sales channels welcome approach. Shopware creates the most engaging experiences imaginable from B2B and B2C to multi-store and guided shopping. And Shopware features a worldwide ecosystem of developers, agencies, and technology partners. Find out more at shopware.com FC. That's shopware.com slash FC. Instead of just looking at the technology, you should be looking at what the technology buy and taking ownership and saying, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this successful. Actually, my customer doesn't care about what technology I bought. What they care about is what kind of experience are they having, right? The second side of that is good technology companies should be, Helping their merchants understand that, that that their customer doesn't care about what technology they're on. There's only two business models uh, <laughs> out there. There's bundling and unbundling. And unbundling, yes, yeah, totally. Those are the only two business models. Yeah, I mean, the I think it's interesting. Like, I I agree with you, right? Like, this is like the, like the classic argument of like do one thing and do it super super well. Once you do something super super well, you're like, okay, then we're, we're doing this great. Like, how do we expand? How do we grow? Again, that might be fueled by venture dollars and other things, but that's the market that we're in. And with that um, comes this idea of like consolidation and, and bundling things back up together. And how do you start to create product synergies and making sure that like when you, for like a merchant, like you can go to one place and get some, you know, three or four really great products that all work really well together and kind of unlock incremental value that might not be available, you know, if you're just doing point solutions. Sure. And so, you know, it's an interesting balance because there's pros and cons to both. There's, I think both from a, a software company's growth and uh, just overall like trajectory, like how they grow, then in tandem with the merchant. It, it's it's kind of like a dance. Uh, it's 
both matter and they're both kind of in, you know, like constant with one another. And it's like, I think what people will always say back in the day is like, you know, the companies, when you're a young startup, do one thing, do it super, super well, grow your customer base. And then you kind of like expand from there. We end up in these conversations theoretically. Yeah. And Scott's brought us right back twice now to small, you know, like very small business. And I think it's important when you think about the things that we're saying, like you need to put this in context to where you are as a merchant. If you're deep in the space, you lose context to where people are in their journey. You inform yourself about the process and fantastic outcomes. It kind of solves itself. Another thing that's contributing to this is that a lot of these businesses that are popping up on Shopify, big commerce, you know, et cetera, like one, like it's like one e-com manager Who's managing what a larger business would handle with like 20 people. (laughs) And so there's like an element of like, they're not actually informed necessarily. They might be, they might have pushed it real hard and like, but, but there's like understanding loyalty is very, very like different discipline than understanding an ERP. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. And so there's like, it's just like, I think that's another aspect of it here is there's in digital, there's just actually, well, there's a problem in the labor market in that there's just, a, there's not a lot of people that know all these things. I learn by doing mm-hmm. and up to a point you just have to be comfortable. And I think this is something that um, I think people kind of have to learn on the job maybe is like, you're like, you're going to learn what your business needs once it's installed and you got to roll with it. You have to make it work and you might change in a year or two or afterwards. But like, you don't really know a hundred percent until you know, until you're doing it. Cause each business is different. Each brand is different. Each product is different. And so it's just like some, at some point you have to be flexible and okay with it. And like, you have to be very comfortable with like, just, you know, obscurity or like, um, just like, like the unknown because, mm. and just be ready for that because it's just, it's different across the board for every single brand and business. Um, so I think the more you can kind of get the, get in the mindset of, you know, this is going to work, it's, it's going to perform, but we know there's going to be unknowns, things are going to go wrong, that sets you up for success. So that way you can, I think, focus less on the going wrong and more about the, ah, that was coming at some point, now how do we go out and fix it? I'm a big believer in permission to fail. Like, and, and what you just described is so super important to businesses to grow. And we've also had this conversation of, oh my gosh, I have to protect against the negative attacks that come from one poor experience yeah. from a shopper yeah. that now hits multiple channels. It's, it's an overwhelming situation for a merchant. Absolutely. It's tough. It's like, there's no easy fix or solution with those. It's like, it's this, that's what I guess they say, like, you know, just like, Going through it, like experiencing it. You need to understand your pain points and try not to get too far ahead of yourself. That's such a good piece of advice. Like you you, just document your roadmap and look at your competitors or people that you admire in business that are close to you and figure out the first three things that you do. Be willing to change it, but don't think 10 steps down the line because the problem, as Scott said, is going to surface and you might need to sub in something different at two, but don't get overwhelmed by the full stack. Yeah, I love that. I think it's like in areas where you don't know, lean into best practices. Yes. I think – Again, like keeping up with the Joneses is not always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a Correct. bad thing when you only do that. Right. And then 
that's how we end up with this homo- homogenization of e-commerce experiences where all of them feel the same now. Yep. Um, and, like, and, and, and I think, I think this is where like, this is why headless has been on everyone's lips for a while. Cause everyone's like, I want to try something that's different, but everyone's too scared to do but it. But it's not different. Right. Like, and that's the thing, like this is a category that created by some folks that run consulting firms, right? Like that's, this is what it is, right? Like I hate to pull the curtain back yeah, yeah, on everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it, it's literally about picking the best tools that you need at the moment to deploy. And all we've done is, Taking Retitle the front end and the back end. Right. Yeah. We, you can call it microservices. Yeah. You can call it headless. You can call it whatever you want. It's how small businesses right now are building their stack and always have. Don't get overwhelmed by the term, right? Yeah, but, totally. but you're right. It is now this category that's been talked about that causes mass confusion. And it's one of the things that I find as I get older, I get more annoyed by. And it's the confusion that we all cause. And then now it's a feature function battle. So, you know, like the, if I had axes to grind, it'd be two things, category creators that aren't really creating categories, <laughs> headless is in there, and then the feature function battle and yeah. not creating outcomes, right? Yeah. Like the, if, if those are two things you could take on as a buyer and not get caught up in them as your sole decisions. Yeah. I think it goes back to just like having that ability to be that consultant, that approach to like, it's like, hey, yes. listen, like, we want to argue with with all the information. If you get a deck from us, it's like it's like it's going to be it's going to have our skew on it. Then like go look at competitors and it's like you know arm them with the content or the material to give them the best solution possible and like give them the transparency and make them feel as though it's like they can make a well informed decision. Like I think that's super super important. But to your point, it's just like yeah, when you get those like those checklists are follow-up material. Cause it's like, if you're on a zoom call with somebody you're like, Hey, well, you do this eyes, the back of the head. Right. I mean, it's just, um, uh, but not, not everybody. Uh, if you're a nerd like me, I was like, Oh yeah, show me the list. Like I like the list, the checkboxes, like yeah, I like, like the it. list, but in general, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of information to take in. And if we go back to the resource constraint, you know, that's in play, it's, 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 it's overwhelming. A lot of D2C has sort of like moved to another conversation that I feel like like has a lot of this this idea of keeping up with the Joneses going on, and that's Web3. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, All right. <laughs> you think a lot of attention and a lot of like eyeballs and, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, energy has gone into Web3 simply because there's a lot of VCs, big corporations, and, and money that are like that, that is like fueling this forward momentum. <laughs> I think because of the pandemic, because of people staying at home, there was a lot of revenue that was lost in brick and mortar in some of these bigger places where VC money happened to be. And there was a very easy shift. The technology had already started to grow to the point where that technology could be shoved forward for purchase purposes. Mm-hmm. And let's make no mistake, venture capitalist money needs to see return. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Like we all invest. So the money went into something that was new, that was perfect. It was tailor-made for us all being at home. The problem that I that I think it really manifested quickly is kind of the unregulated nature of purchasing things 
within W3, like NFTs, uh, anything in the, in the, you know, the metaverse, of course there's a shove because there's a new place to interact, but there was no oversight. And so we saw a lot of manipulation Mm -hmm. of these immediately, all of these scams and fraud pieces that we've talked about in the past, Mm -hmm. like they just surfaced. So like my view is cynical in that. Yes, absolutely. It was all shoved forward because the time was right. To bring it back to keeping up with the Joneses, do you think a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon just because they saw big players dropping into it? There was fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. If if I didn't, as a retailer, purchase my spot, Mm -hmm. right? If I didn't go buy my area, oh my gosh, what if I missed out? Right. No one knows. So what if I missed out? So the NFT, the manipulation market's one thing, but you're to your point, Brian, kind of bringing it back. I think absolutely. The FOMO <laughs> around that is a huge part of keeping up with the Joneses. And I think that that is actually fear in general, fear of straying away from the herd, fear of missing out on an opportunity. Fear actually drives a lot of purchasing. A lot. (laughs) And that is not a – that's not a good thing. At my previous job, we had our own little technology chart and we said 1%, you know, like the 9% and the 90%. For four and a half years, blockchain – uh, stayed solely in the 1% because for big brand advertisers, and it was like, there's nothing here for you yet. The pandemic happened and that went from 1%. I would say the technology is still probably in that 1%, but just the awareness went to like the 90%. All of a sudden, everybody mm. knew about this and we were flooded with questions about what's an NFT, what, like, what is a Web3, what, like, what is a metaverse, and what is a cryptocurrency. And they're all uniquely different in the sense that like a cryptocurrency is a product of a blockchain, and a blockchain is a tool that's within the Web3 bucket, and a metaverse in itself is actually outside of those three things because that's a new environment where it's just like a, a new interface where you might interact kind of virtually. And so all that has been kind of blended together, and it just kind of creates this mess of just, you know, fantastic and, I don't know, even kind of scary. <laughs> nature of like what's going on in the world of marketing. It, what's interesting is the big brands that I think jumped in, I wasn't surprised by. Some of them ha- are are known and do things like this because they are traveling at the pace of culture. Mm-hmm. This became really like a big cultural conversation. It wasn't really about mm-hmm. the blockchain. It was about what's happening in culture and how can I participate? And so you saw like Adidas, they, they did something with CryptoPunks and, you know, two other NFT projects, I think Bored Ape, CryptoPunks, and there was one other one. They made their own, I think, coin or NFT for like that interacted with their app. But for them, I mean, it was like, it was a perfect alignment because what, 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 what was happening? It was fashion. It was, you know, easy for them to integrate directly into that kind of like NFT marketplace and like have a presence there and like have something to say there. This episode is brought to you by Klaivu. Klaivu captures e-commerce shoppers intent and then leverages AI to create personalized search and discovery experiences that allow your brand to go beyond keywords typed into the search box. Clayview's end-to-end search and discovery solution is easy to configure, optimize, and maintain for all major shopping platforms in just hours. 
Clavu's proprietary technology is driving traffic and conversion and loyalty for over 3,000 leading global brands. Check them out today at Clavu, that's K-L-E-V-U.com. Visions is brought to you by Yachtpo, an e-commerce marketing platform that helps online businesses win customers for life with interconnected solutions for reviews, SMS marketing, loyalty programs, and more. With Yachtpo, brands like Steve Madden, Brooklinen, Quip, and Love Wellness are able to create innovative experiences that boost customer loyalty and repeat purchases. Join Yachtpo in keeping commerce on the cutting edge by downloading the Visions Report today. Visit yachtpo.com slash visions. That's Y-O-T-P-O dot com slash visions. I think Walmart bought space in, you know, uh, uh, Sandbox VR. All right. I mean, not sure what you're going to do with your space in Sandbox VR, but, you know, go like, like, like go for it, see what happens. And it's like the bigger brands I feel like that got in were doing it because that's just what they normally do. And some just played better than others mm-hmm. and everybody else that didn't know how to navigate it or like how they buy into it. Um, just want to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. And so into that point, like they might not have like invested in it or like done something on a, on a deeper level, but they're like, I want to be around this in some way, shape or form. And they just threw some marketing at it because for them, it's just like, why not be part of culture? Right. Like there's, the, there's rather low downside. It's, I think it goes back to the same reason why Wendy's opened a Discord. Everybody's talking about community, talking about Discord. Yeah. Like they just opened one up and it was just like 50,000 trolls. I mean, it was wild. <laughs> so I think that's the, to your point, to keep it up with the Joneses when it comes to Web3, it was like, it was yes. Like they saw Nike, Adidas, like these big brands that were always at the pace of culture and everybody's always jealous of. Yeah. And the thing is like, you know, what they were doing, if you look at it from a strategy, it, it, it made sense for them. Like yeah. it made sense, whether it was web three blockchain crypto or something new, you know, they're very in tune with how culture works and their place in it. And they, and that just shows like that, like that's showed very, very well. It's all the brands that look on the outside or they're trying to keep up. They're like, well, how do we do that? Yeah. And it's just like, well, you can surround the content you can try, but like also you don't, Sometimes it's like KFC made golden chicken nugget NFTs. So the answer is yes. And the way in which it kind of really translated was this main, mainly through like the conversation of culture. I, I think it's less about, you know, was, I don't know, Taco Bell we'll keeping the Q, QVC, no, QR, QRC. What is QR? Quick serve restaurant? QSR. Yeah, QSR, yeah, QSR yeah. category. Um, you know, the idea here is that they weren't investing like in blockchain technology, but they were like, how do we invest in the culture in the like in the fandoms around that? And that's yeah. that's where I saw from a brand level where they're like, people were all about it. They're like, there's attention, there's yeah. and, where, and where there's like, attention, there's value, there's money to be made. And so like mm. throw your brand at it, see what sticks. And again, I think what you see with like, you know, Nike and Adidas like was a bit more in tune with it. This gets into another trend that we have in the report, which is the sort of celebration of insincerity. There were a lot of brands that jumped in in like a very like skinovation sort yes. of way. It's like this half-hearted, almost celebrated version of like, we're doing this, but we're not really doing this. And uh, from one standpoint, there was definitely a lot of bandwagoning. Yeah. There was a lot of bandwagoning. And from another standpoint, this was actually a moment for cultural engagement. That's not necessarily bandwagoning. That's just that like strategic. I, but I wonder though, we're, we're talking about keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. I think every brand we've mentioned in this, that, that did it well. Yeah. 
They're known. How long till we see the stories of, you know, if there's one Adidas, oh, there are there's a hundred yeah. train wrecks that yes. went down oh, yeah. that didn't understand, yeah. right? Like when do they surface? I keep going back to like the things about accountability, the things about driving value and like knowing where to play. Yeah. And this is a, this is a perfect example of like, know where you should maybe stretch and maybe, maybe sit the bench type of thing. Right? Yeah. Cause, because what, what Scott described, I just find fascinating because, you know, the Adidas, the Pepsi's like, they know the game they're playing, yeah. but a small 10, 20 person merchant that, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. they don't have a clue the game they're playing. The counterpoint then in my head is that, again, like it, where you are in your life cycle gives you different opportunities to innovate. Yes. And I think the, like, yes, like the big brands, like they're making big splashes. Yeah. And like for them, like, you know, Adidas just doing like a collab with the crypto punks and the board apes, they go into the back end, they see this is actually worth this many impressions, which is equal to this many dollars that like, so that's like their calculation where like, they know it's like, we can make a huge PR splash. We get this engagement. And it's like, sometimes that's Oof. better than any paid media that they can do. A smaller brand can kind of like see all this, look around, be like, okay, like this is all fantastic and great, but like obviously for us, you know, we have more resource constraints. Like we, we can't make a big splash, but we can sit back, observe, and watch to see how this technology is resonating and being adopted and where it might fit in for us. And I think that goes back to the whole Shopify token gated commerce conversation yeah. around how like, you know, that. The wallets are a new identity solution and like that could be a way to interact with individuals. That could be a new form of like loyalty. Like there's opportunity there to think about really how the technology then starts to play into, you know, how you go to market with a product essentially or how you interact with your customers. When we think about keeping up with the Joneses, Scott said it a few times. It's okay. Just be very smart in what you're doing and know where you are in your journey. And understand what your buyer or your or your shopper is trying to get out of this if we're talking purely about commerce and building a stack know what your brand is stay on brand and make sure that you're creating fantastic outcomes you can't go wrong like you might get out over your skis a little bit but you can't go wrong if you always center yourself on that the visions podcast is brought to you by future commerce you can find more episodes of this podcast and all future commerce properties at futurecommerce.fm. Download our 100-page companion guide on cultural and consumer trends by visiting visions.report. That's visions.report.